Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. In today's conversation, we dive into the liquor store business. Devin Wanzer acquired a liquor store earlier this year, and it's going really well. Make sure to pay attention to why it is that Devin's store has advantages that many of the ones I see on Biz Buy Sell do not. As I speak, there are seven liquor stores for sale in my city alone, but crucially, none are as large or as nice as what Devin acquired. So that and lots more to learn from Devin Wanzer about successfully buying a liquor store. Devin Wanzer, thank you for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. Yeah, yes, sir. Uh, Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I am excited to have you here. You are the relatively recent owner of a liquor store in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Yeah, since uh, January 11th, officially. Yeah, that's right. January 11th. So tomorrow will be your 10-month anniversary. I've been following along for many of those 10 months on Twitter, and it seems like it's going well. You you tweet quite a bit about being on, on the golf course. So I, I, I take that as a positive sign. Uh, so I want to understand, I, I want to hear your story, and I want to understand what it is you saw in this liquor store that um, was such a good opportunity, and it, sure enough, has turned out to be such a good opportunity. There are so many liquor stores on Biz Buy Sell. I'm in San Francisco. Just before we hopped on, on the phone here, I did a quick search. There are seven liquor stores for sale in the city proper right now. So these are businesses that transact a lot, and, um, and it, you know a lot about it. So I'm really looking, for an educa- looking forward to the education here. Oh, I know. I know a little bit. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you did something right on your first try. So it's probably more than a little bit. Start us off with uh, some of your background, Devin. So take, take us uh, through kind of your professional background up to the decision to buy this buy this liquor store. Yeah, absolutely. So I've lived in Oklahoma my entire life, uh, graduated from Oklahoma State University. And then since that time, kind of I had three distinct separate careers, really. I spent seven years as a commercial banker. I started out in a training program and then ended up uh, as a VP of a, a bank that I owned a small piece of and primarily specialized in um, lending to small and medium-sized businesses like many people on Twitter talk about and are involved in. And then also carved out a little specialty in oil and gas, being in Oklahoma. Um, really enjoyed banking, but the the reason that I got out of that was I went through uh, a couple instances of being acquired, and it just seemed like due to regulation and consolidation, it was really a big business game. And I'm not really wired to operate within a big business and committees and having people, you know, needing to sign off on every decision because I feel like I'm a good decision maker. So um, I was actually looking for a, a company to acquire at that time. That was back in like 2013, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then I was presented an opportunity actually from one of my customers that was uh, a guy that had sold a, a big company and was essentially at retirement age, but still invested in small companies and, and partnered with with people to run them. And we bought a really kind of a failing sign manufacturing business and then mm-hmm. ran that for seven years. We made five or six acquisitions. Uh, we grew it about 20x from from where we started and then for really a variety of reasons um one i moved uh, from tulsa over here to stillwater um, kind of at the beginning of the whole covid crisis in early 2020 and then um 
you know, just the, the size that it gotten to and the, the size of the team just wasn't a great fit for the way I wanted to be spending my days at that point. And, uh, had a, had a relationship with a broker. And I think it was like September, October of, of 2020 through this liquor store thing at me. And it was like a mile from my house that I had just bought in Stillwater. So frankly, that was a, a big driving factor. Cause I was, <laughs> I was commuting, you know, three hours round trip, three or four days a week. And, and now, I might drive 15 miles in a week. I probably put more miles on my golf cart now than my truck. So that was, that was a big driving factor. Uh, the store had obviously performed well, and I thought that it had the potential to continue to do well. And I was interested in that. Um, but, um, you know, Stillwater's a town of like 40, 50,000 people. So it's, yeah. I knew I couldn't be incredibly picky and, and own a business here. So. So had you given this broker criteria for um, purchase price and profitability? I mean, wh- why did he bring you this particular business? No, the only criteria I gave him was I'm looking for something in Stillwater. Hmm. And and that was really it. And had he brought you other businesses or was this the first thing he brought you? No, I mean, I think the first time I'd met him was probably in maybe June of that year. And then... Uh, two or three months later, got an email of, of, Hey, this, this looks kind of interesting and it's in Stillwater. What do you think? Uh, you know, spent a day or two looking through it. And I was like, that's pretty interesting. And I think I had it under LOI probably two weeks later before it ever really hit the open market. Um, it was, it was priced right. They had already had a valuation done on the business and they really weren't asking, uh, you know, you know, most of these deals start out asking prices that really aren't reasonable, but they started out asking a, a really pretty reasonable number. And we, we were able to put it together pretty quickly. And I think it was one of those things that, and we'll probably talk more about this a little bit later, but I'd, I'd done enough deals. So like digging into the numbers and, and all that, that's, that goes pretty quickly for me. I mean, the, the liquor store industry, specifically in Oklahoma, there's like one giant risk. And so we're a state where they don't allow those products to be sold outside of liquor stores. So for instance, like Walmart grocery stores, they can't sell liquor. The laws changed in, uh, it was late 2018, even up until that time, the, the grocery stores could not sell wine either. And so that, that, that was a change we went through in 2018. And so that's still, you know, kind of the biggest potential risk that, that's out there for me. And after talking to people, you know, I decided it was a, it was a, an acceptable risk to take to go ahead and, and jump in and buy it and, and make a go of it. So that, that's still the biggest risk that I face though. When you say this is a big risk, but it, if this regulation already was pulled back or loosened or whatever in 2018, why does it remain a risk? Just because the idea is that like buying habits could change over the next five years and people would start buying more at, not at liquor stores and, and other retail outlets? Yeah. So if, if a law were to be passed that allowed grocery stores to sell liquor, that would definitely harm our business. Because if we look at numbers prior to when the laws changed on wine, uh, the store definitely took a hit at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's recovered some of that. um, But spirits is probably 55% of the overall revenue of my store. So if all of a sudden, everybody in town could sell that and not just the liquor stores. It would definitely be a hit. Now, granted, I look at like Missouri, I think is the closest state to me that 
where basically grocery stores, everybody can sell liquor. And there's a right across the state line when you're leaving Arkansas to Missouri. It's an area I used to vacation, so I know a little bit about it. There's a huge Walmart that has almost like a standalone liquor store in it and then a thriving liquor store right across the street. So obviously Mm -hmm. people figure this out. I know grocery in California can sell it, but yet you said there's still plenty of liquor stores there. So yeah, there would be some survivors, but that would be a, it would be a monumental shift in my business. No doubt if that happened. So it would be such a big, it would be a big change in, in the law of the land as well. I mean, this is a very, um, a law that the public would be aware of. So you probably would get a multi-year heads up before something like that hit the books, right? This isn't going to slide in. Yeah. That's the way that it played out, you know, when the, when the laws changed around wine as well. So that, that was part of like my risk calculation is all right. Well, you know, at a minimum when I bought it, I was kind of saying, well, there's nothing like that in the works now. And so I, I can pretty comfortably say there'd be at least a three-year runway if things moved at lightning speed, which right. historically in Oklahoma on things of this subject have not moved at lightning speed. So I would say <laughs> a minimum of like three to five years is what I thought I had to work with and potentially 20, 30, who knows? I mean, maybe never. So right. Not to say that I couldn't be totally wrong about that, but those were sort of the calculations and and estimations that I made when I decided that yeah, I'll pull the trigger on this deal. So now you you had experience in doing deals and in small business, but you didn't have experience in retail, didn't have experience in the alcohol industry. Do you think that somebody similarly under uh, under experience in this industry could come in and do the same as you did? I've always had a great confidence in myself to figure things out. Um, major exceptions being like, I, I'm, I've never really been a fan of like science or really in-depth engineering type things, but things mm-hmm. that I consider to be, even if they're totally foreign to me, but uh, simple operations, then, then I'm generally pretty confident. And when I compare it to uh, the ins and outs and difficulties of like the sign manufacturing business and we're, we're running installers in an eight state span and dealing with fortune 500 companies. You know, the difference here is that the entire business is contained within four walls. Um, and so like span of control is drastically smaller, um, vendor relationships. I mean, we deal primarily with like maybe seven or eight vendors, um, those were the kind of things that gave me a level of confidence that I could figure it out. Uh, there was also a solid general manager in place that's still with me now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think may- maybe some of it was like hubris, but then other things were I had acquired businesses that I felt were significantly more complicated yeah. and, and found a way to make those work. So, you know, I was, I was comfortable taking that risk. Can you describe the store to us? Size, style, kind of give give us a picture. Yeah, so we have about nine thousand square feet, and compared to maybe some of the average liquor stores you've been in, we're set up to to cater more to like perhaps your mom or somebody like that. So you know, <laughs> very wide aisles, very well lit. It's 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 spread out. A lot of liquor stores are kind of like claustrophobic and product stuffed in there and you can barely get down aisles. And so, yeah. um, we're kind of, I guess, upscale 
if you want to call it that. We carry mm-hmm. about 5,000 different products in the store. Um, that's something that I've focused on significantly this year is kind of expanding some of our offerings. Uh, that's a whole different animal in and of itself that I've been trying to solve because there's, you know, we'll have people come in every day just about with new products that they think we should have. And so, you know, if you just went with every single one of those, you'd be quickly just overwhelmed in inventory. So I'm still trying to figure out the balance of what do we bring in? What do we get rid of? That's kind of a daily battle that I, that I have to go through. So, but yeah, I would say just kind of like upscale, you know, very large footprint footprint for a liquor store and, and, clean wide aisles, kind of a, a welcoming shopping experience. So. And was the seller getting out of it because they were retiring? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And can you talk to about the numbers at all of the, of the deal itself and the, and the revenue that it was doing, doing now profit that it was doing, doing now. So let's talk about revenue at least. Um, so we're just shy of like 3 million which I bought it, you know, 2020 for a lot of liquor stores was probably the best year ever because of COVID and what it did to people's drinking habits. Um, so <laughs> this year, I think we're probably down actually like three and a half percent year to date compared to last year, which I consider to be pretty good because there were some some months, you know, that you look at historically that are pretty slow in our business that were just crazy last year. And I know there's a lot of people that are seeing, I say downturns. I mean, really what I'm looking at is kind of like where are we on trend from 2019 with 2020 as an outlier. And we're, right. because 2019 in our state was also the first year of the law changes. Um, so it was a down year for a lot of stores and we're up pretty significantly over where we were in 2019. So overall we're, slightly ahead of, of what I projected um, from a revenue standpoint. And then from a profit standpoint, um, one of the things I did probably just because of, I guess, some of my knowledge of, of pricing and maybe people's uh, maybe apathy toward pricing in certain situations, like that, that was something in the sign business was, you know, we hardly ever lost deals due to pricing. And so we would experiment a lot of, all right, here's kind of our formula. Okay, let's add 5% to that and see if we're getting deals and let's add 10 and 15. And so the the one major change I made at the liquor store is, you know, the former owner had target margins for sort of every type of product. And then whatever that price was, if it was 1855, then it was priced at say 1855. I came in and said, well, why don't we just round everything up to either 49 or 99? It looks a little bit cleaner on the shelf. I don't think anyone's really going to care. Well, we've we've expanded our gross margin by, I think, a point and a half mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. by doing that. And mm-hmm. it took us, I think, you know, a week to go through every section in the store and like adjust all the prices up to 49 or 99. So we didn't really, we're not doing anything different other than just to a little bit different look and feel on pricing. And that's a point and a half on, you know, call it 3 million a year in revenue for not doing anything. So that was great experience. What what an easy win. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, many people who buy small businesses, they actually, you know, there's a sweet spot of um, it. 
of what's wrong with it and what's right with it. And you want just enough uh, because you want there to be some upside in, in bringing your new energy as owner to, to improving some of the things. Uh, it sounds like, though, other than the example you just gave, um, that this business is actually already pretty well run. Am I wrong, or, or did you see some nice opportunity to to add new energy and and expertise to to making it a better business? Uh, there was really nothing major. I think the only difference was maybe a little bit more energy toward keeping product fresh in the store. Um, the the former owners were very conscious of like their inventory levels and you know cash and and that's that's great you certainly have to keep that in mind um but being a 9000 square foot store there were parts of the store that were very bare um so i think inventory when i bought the store was at 250 on average 250,000 and today we run closer to 300 um we're a little bit higher than we have been because of the you know supply chain issues that we're seeing yeah. as most industries are so now and like when we have the ability like we get deliveries from our big vendors three days a week so you know if if product is always in stock then i don't have to carry more than a few days worth of inventory well on certain products especially in october i started buying enough to last me through the end of the year um just because we were starting to see outages and, and real erratic shipments from them. And so when things became available, I just said, you know what, I'm locking up enough to get us through the end of the year because for most stores, November and December are huge. And so I'm sort of counting on at least being able to hold my own, if not being able to pick up some additional business in those months because I've really stacked inventory in there right now. So that's been the biggest thing. And then, you know, in our business, um, the American whiskey slash bourbon market is by far like the most trendy and on fire segment. That was probably something the previous owners, I don't say no, they knew the least about, but it wasn't like high on their list of knowledge. And it's probably the thing that I know the most about. So I've greatly expanded our offerings and that, and it's really made a huge difference in our, in our revenue specifically in that part of the store. So I think just, probably some new energy and coming in and shaking up how things are, are laid out and just the overall presentation and, and fullness of the shelves and things have, have been the major thing, but nothing earth shattering, you know, a lot of businesses that, that you may look at are completely broken and right. it right. wasn't the case here. And were the previous owners passive, semi-passive like you, or were they in the store every day? Uh, they were, it was a husband and wife and they were, I think between them, at least from what I was told, they worked about 50 to 60 hours a week. Um, it's more than you're putting in by a lot, even individually, even individually. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not really, and, and part of that is just because of their, you know, they were hesitant, I think to like hire people. So they would work you know, they would have themselves scheduled for shifts, actually working the floor, working the front counter. Whereas in a, our, our standard scheduled week, I'm not on the schedule. You know, I go in, I do most of the product ordering, then I'll meet with vendors when I'm there, but I'm not scheduled to work like a six hour shift in the store itself. Um, Fridays, like by far our busiest day, Friday afternoon. So a lot of times I'll be there just because it's fun to interact with the customers. And then we're in, uh, football season 
right now we just had homecoming um, a couple weeks ago. So on days like that, when I know we're going to be really, really busy, then I'll make a point to, to be there. Cause I like to interact with, with people. I'll see a lot of people. I know people that are well-known in the community will come in there and I can talk to them about all the products I've bought. So sure. it's really not like work necessarily for me. And then, you know, there'll be people that call in sick, you know, here or there and take vacation and I'll, I'll fill in at those times and work a little bit more, but in an average week, just for me to get done, what I need to get done is probably maybe 15 hours, I would say. And do you think the previous, the previous owners just couldn't get comfortable just outsourcing that they just wanted to have their eyes on the store or be in the store? I mean, what's, why didn't they do what you're doing? It sounds it's, it's night and day, the difference in free time that you have versus them. I can't answer that question. Um, I think part of it is, you know, they actually started the store. And so, you know, if you go start something like this, you're probably going to be there working every hour that it's open because you're, you're starting out with zero revenue. Right. So I think perhaps when you, you know, when you build something, it's, it's hard to see past how you, how it was when you started mm-hmm. out. Whereas for me, I, I get to come in day one and I don't have preconceived notions of like, well, I'm used to being here 60 hours a week. It was kind of like I started yeah. out and I did the things that needed to get done and it didn't take me more than 15 or 20 hours. And then I was like, all right, cool. That's, that's what I needed to do. And so I don't mm-hmm. just sit around there. And when you were looking at buying this business, did you project 15 or 20 hours of uh, weekly work or what, it, what were you thinking the time commitment would be? I really didn't know. Um, I was probably, man, I don't know. It's been 10 months is a long time ago when you're as old as I am. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, I'm, old, probably, I'm older than you, Devin. So please, I was thinking it would probably be closer to a full-time job. Um, but I, I really don't remember. What okay. I was yeah. Well, talk to me a little bit about the, uh, emotional for lack of a better word, component of this. You had a great tweet recently uh, where, where where you, the quote you used to tell people at cocktail parties or Sunday barbecues or whatever, I'm president of a manufacturing company with $10 million revenue and 50 employees. <laughs> and now what you tell those people is, I own a liquor store. So you don't seem like a guy who actually what I like to say is I'm a, I'm, a re- I'm a retail store clerk is what I tell people. <laughs> <laughs> you run the cash register. Right. Uh, you don't seem like somebody who cares a lot uh, about um, how people, you know, what people think, but um, you, you recognize that there is a totally different kind of professional story that you tell people now. Yeah. Did you, did that take getting comfortable uh, with or, or what? Talk to me about that. Yes and no. I mean, there's still, there's still times like I was invited to a thing at, at the university last weekend where they were recognizing like the top 100 businesses that are ran by OSU Cowboys. So I think, you know, in those type of situations, it can be like at least momentary or fleeting thoughts of like, man, what am I doing? But then, you know, every day, I walk my kids to school, you know, most days I'm at the house for lunch with my wife and then two or three days a week, I'm, you know, in the afternoons playing golf. Like there's a lot more moments of like, you know, comfort and Hey, I'm really living the life I want to versus, you know, the one that people think maybe I should be. So, I mean, deep down, I I know that I'm doing what I want to be doing. Um, but there's still parts of me that are like, well, 
I'm probably capable of, of doing more. And everybody's like, oh, so you're going to go buy 23 more of these? And that was my next question. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's always where, you know, my mind would typically start to run. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's the last 10 months of, have changed that mindset a lot. And specifically, you know, because of some of like the regulatory risks that I talked about a little bit earlier, I'm not sure that I would make um, additional investments in this space. I'd probably diversify outside of it um, unless just, you know, the, the perfect thing came about that I couldn't resist, but it's not something I'm actively pursuing. Well, you'd also mentioned to me that there's the stimulation, the intellectual stimulation is different yeah. running a liquor store than when you were, when you were an executive. Yeah. Uh, and, th- and that, and that can be something that one misses. Like if you, you, you know, if you get bored in what you're doing, you might want to do something more just to, to, to uh, assuage that boredom. Can you talk what, about what margins are at your, at your store? So we run about, call it a 25% overall gross margin, and then hopefully, you know, roughly 10% net. Okay. All right. Why is it that I just hear the conventional wisdom is that retail is just extremely difficult, razor thin margins. Why are you making it look so easy? Or how are you making it look so easy? Is there something different because it's protected right from the, by, by regulation? And, and so it's kind of a captive market or, or what? Because most people say, if you're going to buy a business, the last thing you want to buy is a store or a restaurant or a salon. Well, you know, I can't speak to any other type of retail because my involvement spans the last yeah. 10 months. I mean, I never worked retail when I was younger. I mowed lawns and things like that. So this, the last 10 months is everything that I know, which is very little. Um, part of it <laughs> is again, the regulatory environment in our state. Um, like in my town, there's probably seven stores, but three of us are like significantly larger than the others. So I think being one of those three, and then also I'm located on kind of like the newer up and coming side of town, which plays into the the clientele and product mix that we have. So uh, I think that's a lot of it. Um, People talk about staffing issues and things like that. I haven't Uh had to deal with that yet. I did raise wages for people um, shortly after I took over. And then operating in a college town, I think makes a little bit of a difference because we have some really high quality people that are, you know, they're in school, they're going to have degrees here shortly, but now they're okay working retail jobs that they probably won't be okay working in two or three years when they graduate. So we may have a little better pool to, to grab employees from than a lot of people. So, and you know, it's from an employee perspective, I mean, they get to try products and hang out and talk to people about beer and wine and and spirits all day. It's a pretty fun, relaxed environment, really. I mean, there's, there's not a lot to it. Well, I think it's a lot more fun than working at like Taco Bell if it were. (laughs) I I think you've, you've already touched on part of the answer. I mean, when I look at the liquor stores that are available, as I said, the seven that are available here in San Francisco, first of all, none are as big as 3 million. They look like they range from half a million to 1.5 million. And these are not, these are not stores that look like they're staffed by, you know, people who are about to graduate college. I mean, they're kind of seem like mangy in city kind of, kind of places with plexiglass and, and, and so on. 
So uh, the staffing opportunities are probably much more challenging for the owner owners of those businesses. Um, there's a lot more competition probably because there are a lot of, lot of them around uh, and they just do, they do a lot less volume. Um, although they're probably also, you know, I mean, they have a smaller footprint, so there's nothing inherently wrong with that. That's a lot of, you know, that's a lot of small businesses just speaking about things in general and what I saw as a banker and in the sign business, there's a ton of small companies that may do, let's say 750 to a million in revenue that provide the owner, you know, maybe 60 to $80,000 a year. But as far as true profits to where you could, you know, hire people to, to run it, it's not big. There's not enough scale there. So I think that's why we had some success in aggregating some businesses in the, in the sign industries, because we bought three or four. And then when you reach the scale where you can have more professional management and people specializing in what they're good at, it's a game changer versus when we started out, the, the one that we bought was doing like half a million a year in revenue when we had five people and I was working a hundred hours a week doing sales and accounting and sitting at the front desk when people walked in and working in the shop on Saturdays. And I mean, it was, that's, that's a grind of a lifestyle for, for somebody. So. Well, it sounds like you, you would probably recommend somebody buy something with, you know, with a kind of a minimum profit or cash flow of something and, you know, the two, three, four or $500,000, if they're going to be ambitious with this business and try to, and try to grow it. In a perfect world, but then the flip side is if I didn't have the other opportunities to to jump into one where I had to literally do everything, I'm not sure that like my abilities and my competence would be where they are today. So yeah, it was a is a tough time, but I'm not sure, you know, what would my what would I look like if I didn't have to go through that? It's it's sure. impossible to know, but you certainly miss out on something. So sure. Well, Devin, uh, I'll I'll leave it there. This was uh, <laughs> a, a great conversation about um, the owning a liquor store. I I feel like you you hit hit on the right one because the the ones that I'm looking at here in San Francisco don't look anything like the way you described yours, and and they're not. Uh, so yours sounds like um, a, a real gem. So congratulations to you on that acquisition. Yeah. So far, so good. Cool. Well, uh, it's at Devin Wanzer, D-E-V-I-N-W-A-N-Z-O-R for people out there. I really recommend you follow Devin. Uh, it's been, I was really eager to get him on here because of his tweets. So keep those coming, Devin, and we'll, we'll have to circle back around in another year, see how things are going. Absolutely. I'd love to. Thanks. Thanks.